Chapter 18 of Shmuel. Chapter 17 was the battle. David's defeat of Goliath. Great victory. And chapter 18 tells us the immediate aftermath of that victory. It begins, interestingly enough, by saying, After David finished speaking with Saul, that's after the battle, the soul of Jonathan became bound up with David's soul. Jonathan loved David as himself. And the chapter continues, verse number three, Jonathan and David made literally a covenant, a pact. And the text adds, as Jonathan loved David as his own soul, Jonathan gave David his coat, took off his coat, and gave it to David. Together with his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now given the fact that in the book of Shmuel, perhaps in general, but certainly in the book of Shmuel, the coat is a symbol of leadership, and particularly kingship. We recall that in chapter 15 it was the torn coat, which represented the fact that God has torn the kingship away from Saul. It's extremely interesting that Jonathan gives David his coat. Jonathan is, after all, the son of Saul. Jonathan is the one, presumably, who would succeed his father, and especially given Jonathan's heroism, as described in chapters 13 and 14. One might even see here already sense that Jonathan is willing to abdicate to David. Jonathan is an altruistic, selfless person in the book of Shmuel, a book which has very few selfless people. And perhaps Jonathan's thinking is that, I mentioned this earlier, Jonathan is able to defeat the Philistines with the help of a sword and an attendant. Brings about a great victory in chapter 14. But David is able to defeat the enemy with no attendant and no sword. He's even better. So Jonathan may be thinking, he's even better than me. He can do a better job than I can. So why not make him the king? In any event, in verse 4, Jonathan gives David his coat. We take note of the fact that in this description of the deep bond between David and Jonathan, and this is true throughout the book, the text focuses always on Jonathan. Jonathan's love for David. Jonathan gives to David. It never talks about what David gives in return. In any event, the chapter continues, David goes out. Every place Saul sent him, David was successful. And therefore Saul gives him another promotion. So David gets promotions and is very popular both with the people and even Saul's own servants. And now, verse number 6, the book goes back to the what happened right after the battle against Goliath. Out of order. Intentionally out of order. And it came to pass, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that happened earlier, no doubt, so after David returned from killing the Philistines, 
the women of the towns of Israel came out singing and dancing to greet King Saul with timbrels, shouting, and sistrums, some kind of musical instrument. And the women chanted as they were dancing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens, his ten thousands. When Saul heard this, he became very angry. This matter was evil in his eyes. They gave David ten thousand, be only a thousand. What's next? All that he lacks is the kingship. Now what's interesting here is that it's clear from the text, as the book of Samuel presents it, that the women who are coming out to dance are not coming out to insult Saul. It's exactly the opposite. It says the woman came out to greet Saul, to credit Saul. At the end of the day, Saul is the king. And if Saul's officers do well, it redounds to the credit of Saul. So their intention certainly was not to insult the king, but rather to praise the king. Saul, however, interprets it otherwise. And perhaps that's one of the reasons that the story is told out of order. The story is prefaced by the fact that Jonathan, Saul's own son, loves David and symbolically, by giving him the coat, suggests he's willing even to abdicate. So Saul's concerns about David are not just, are not a function primarily of the women coming out and greeting him and saying David has slain his ten thousands, other things are happening. We, the reader, know that David has secretly been anointed king in the house of Yishai back in chapter 16. It's unclear in the book who knows that, who doesn't know that. But Saul's suspicions are based on something more than just what the women say. Saul, at this point, determines to harm David. In verse number 9, Vayishol oyein et David meyayomahu vahala from that point on, Saul was Oyein at David. Oyein is an interesting word, maybe related to the word ayin, kept a jealous eye on, maybe related to a different word, which is the word oven, ayin vav nun. Saul is looking for cause. Saul will be looking for cause to blame David and to eliminate David as a potential rival. Now, in the continuation of the chapter, beginning in verse number 17, we have the proposed marriage of Saul's daughter to David. We remember in the story of David and Goliath, when David was walking around asking everybody, what's going to be with the one who kills Goliath? One of the things the people said to David, who keeps asking the same question, and finally the king hears, there's a soul asking a lot of questions, and one of the answers was, the king will give him his daughter. Whether that's a promise that the king will give his daughter, or whether it's an anticipation, it's not clear. But in any event, it's certainly a possibility. And now in verse number 17, My oldest daughter, whose name is Meirav, I will give it to you as a wife. But in return for that, be a great warrior 
and fight the wars of God. Vishaul Amar, and Saul here it means thought. Saul was thinking. The book tells us what Saul is thinking. Altihi Yadibo, Utihibo Yad Plishtim. Let me not harm him. Let me not kill him. Let rather the Philistines kill him. So in other words, we are told what Saul is thinking. He's thinking, I'll offer to give my daughter to him in marriage, in return for which she has to be a, a valiant warrior, and he'll go out, he'll be killed in battle, the Philistines will kill him, I'll eliminate my enemy. The fact that his own daughter becomes a widow at a young age doesn't seem to bother Saul at this point. And that's his thinking. But David doesn't go along with it. David said to Saul, Who am I? What is my what is my life? What is my worth? What is my family that I should become the son in law of the king? I'm not worthy. So David declines the offer. And these Chapter continues in verse 19, And it came to pass, apparently there was some kind of a time, uh, by which time David has to agree. David did not agree in time, and she's given to somebody else. Robert Alter makes an important point about the text over here. It's an important point in the book of Shmuel generally, although it's not always true. But generally, it is true, and that is that the text tells us what Saul is thinking. We know exactly what he's thinking, because it's a transparent character. But the text does not tell us what David is thinking. When David declines the offer, does David decline the offer because he knows what Saul is thinking? Or does David decline the offer for other reasons? The text doesn't tell us, but we certainly can assume the possibility that David sees through Saul's ruse. I would add at this point that the idea of killing off my enemy, or my presumed enemy, by using the other side, in this case the Philistines, to kill my enemy, why should I do it myself, is precisely what David does later in the book when it comes to Uriah the Hittite. Uriah Hitti, whom David wants to kill for different reasons, David doesn't kill him himself. Rather, David gives instructions. He hands Uriah a note, a memo, to bring to the general, which essentially says, kill me, and Uriah will die in war, nobody will know, so thinks David. So this ruse of getting my enemies to kill my enemy uh, is one that David himself uses successfully, but Saul is unsuccessful. Now what's interesting is that after Michal is given, after Merav, the older daughter, is given to somebody else, then the Chapter continues and tells us that Michal, that's the younger daughter, loves David. And Saul finds out that his second daughter loves David. He's very pleased. The matter was suitable to him, pleasing in his eyes. So he makes an offer again to David. And again, David refuses initially. Who am I? I'm just a poor man, says David, in verse number 23. And Saul says, go back and tell David king doesn't want money as a dowry. A hundred dead Philistines. Kill a hundred Philistines. And David thinks about it. And verse 26, The matter was suitable in David's eyes. To be the son-in-law of the king. 
and the time was not up yet, David goes out, and the text that we have, he kills 200. And Saul gives Michal, his daughter, to David. The story raises a million questions. I'll mention one detail here. Why does David refuse the first offer but accept the second? And I think the reason is the first offer has no limits. Be a valiant warrior. Be a valiant warrior. Go out and fight every day. At one point, you may make a misstep, you'll be killed. But the second offer, a hundred, that's something David can manage. In fact, in our text, he kills two hundred. So fundamentally, he does want to be He wants to be Saul's son-in-law. Saul's son-in-law stands in line, presumably, to be the king. And David has been anointed king. So David is able to figure out a way to position himself in line for the kingship without taking unnecessary risk. The problem in the story, and one that will come back again later in the chapters, is that there are th- it's a third party to the story. Between Saul and David's machinations, there's somebody else involved over here, namely Saul's daughters. So David uses the daughters as a stepping stone to the kingship, and Saul is willing to have the daughter's husbands die to eliminate Saul's presumed enemy. That's what we read in this chapter 18, and this is a theme, the broader theme of power, how one gains power, that will be present throughout the entire book of Shmuel.